Now, I don't know about you, but I've always enjoyed uh, stories that have a good twist at the end. You come to the end of the book of Acts, and, and like I said, I like a story with a good twist. And the book of Acts has a twist at the end of the story. One author that I read this week um, put the, the last half of the last chapter of Acts in this light. He said, all along, the narrative has led the hearer or reader to expect one of two things. Either there would be a Roman trial at which Paul would be vindicated or exonerated, or Acts would close with a picture of Paul finally getting to spend time with the Christians in Rome, as he long wished to do. What we didn't expect was to see the resumption of Paul's ministry to the Jews. But that is, in fact, what we find here in the book of Acts, chapter 28. You know, it's interesting to think about this. All the way through Paul's life and ministry, it's hard to imagine why in the world Paul would even want to talk to any of the Jews in Rome when he got there. And yet, that was the very first thing that Paul did after he made housing arrangements. Look with me in Acts chapter 28. In verse 17, Acts 28, verse 17, well, let me back up to verse 16 just so we have the, uh, the full context here of what's taking place and tied into our last message. Now, when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go, because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. We'll go on in in a minute, but... Um, I think it's fascinating to consider what's taking place here. The first thing that Paul did after he made arrangements uh, for his own housing was to call the Jewish leaders to come and meet with him. Of course, Paul had already met with the Christians from Rome when they met him along the way. You remember a couple weeks ago we looked at that, that some of the Christians from Rome traveled 30 and 40 miles along the Appian Way to meet Paul as he was coming to Rome and to kind of usher him into the city. But it really is surprising to me to, to see Paul reaching out to the Roman Jews immediately after he arrived in the city. And not just reaching out to them, but he says here in verse 19 that he has nothing with, of which to accuse his nation. Well, I don't know about you, but if anybody had reason to accuse the Jewish people, it would have been Paul. Just take a minute with me. I want to do this. Keep your finger in Acts 28. We're going to come back there. But I want to go back through the book of Acts and take a look at the life of Paul and try to get a snapshot of what... Uh, Paul's interaction with his Jewish brothers was. Okay? So keep your hand here, and let's turn back to Acts chapter 9. We'll flip through a few of these verses, and I want you to see these, because I want you to see what Paul experienced. Acts chapter 9, and verse 22, what we have is we have Paul, who has just become a follower of Jesus Christ. 
In Acts chapter 9 and verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Then in verse 23, now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Think about what happened. Paul became a believer in Jesus Christ on the road outside the city of Damascus. He entered into the city of Damascus and we're told that he, he began to discuss the gospel and he began to preach the gospel and he increased in his strength and he began to confound the Jews. In other words, he began to present to them questions that they could not answer. Because he began to present to them Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And what was their response to this new believer in Jesus Christ? They plotted to kill him. So the very first time that Paul sets out to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's a murder plot against him. And he's asked to escape the city. Now turn, or just turn a look a little bit further down in that chapter. Because Paul left Damascus and went to Jerusalem. And look at verse 28. Of course, Paul went to Damascus, or went to Jerusalem, and he preached boldly. Verse 28, so he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. Hellenists here are Greek-speaking Jews. Okay. But, they, but, but then listen, what happened when he preached? When he preached boldly and disputed with them. It says, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him to, Tar to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. And so once again, Paul leaves Damascus, goes to Jerusalem. Certainly Paul would find a friendlier audience in Jerusalem, right? No. He goes there, begins to preach, and they want to kill him. Then we fast forward a couple of chapters. Paul spends about ten years off in Tarsus, and we don't know what happened to him then. There's no record of that in Scripture, at least not any explicit record. And so we get to chapter 13, and Paul and Barnabas... Paul had returned to the scene, come to the city of Antioch. He had become a part of the church there along with Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas are sent out as missionaries. So they leave Antioch and they begin to travel from town to town. And they begin telling people about Jesus. And talking about this Jesus who died and who rose again. And then we get to Acts chapter 13 and verse 45. And so we go all the way down here. And Paul has begun to preach in the city of Pisidian and in the town of Pisidian Antioch, verse 45, Paul had, verse 44, let's read verse 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. And contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. So Paul begins to gather a large crowd of people from the city. But the Jews saw this massive crowd and they began to be envious. And so they speak out against him. But that's not all. Verse 49. The word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region, but the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. And so Paul preaches in the city in Antioch, and he gets kicked out by the Jews, who raise up persecution against him. Then we go immediately from there, he goes into Iconium, chapter 14 and verse 1. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together in the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of Jews and Greeks, believed. Verse 2, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brethren. So we see the Jews 
Some who believed, but some who did not. And those who did not began to, to turn the people of Iconium against Paul. Then you look at verse 4. The multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled. So Paul and Barnabas have to leave again because their threat is on their life. If they, if they stay, they're going to be stoned. They're going to be murdered. And so they travel on to Lystra. And Paul's there in the city of Lystra. And he's preaching the gospel. Verse 19, Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. And having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged, dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. This time they got to him. This time they were able to do it. The Jews were able to stir up the people. And, and notice it wasn't the Jews from Lystra. They came all the way from, from Antioch and from Iconium. And they came into another town. Another region. Because they heard that Paul was there. And they stirred up the people. And they got the people so riled up that they dragged Paul out of the city. Stoned him and left him for dead. Well, Paul wasn't dead. Or if he was, the Lord revived him. We don't know but he got up and he continued to preach and he continued on his way. Now we go ahead and go ahead a few chapters. There's some other things that happened. Paul went back to Antioch and Jerusalem. And, and uh, then we get to Acts chapter 17. And once again, Paul is, is, is out preaching the gospel. And now he's in the city of Thessalonica. Acts chapter 17 and verse 5. And Paul is preaching in the city of Thessalonica. And, and notice verse 5. But the Jews who were not persuaded became envious took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. They attacked the house of Jason. Jason was a Christian there in Thessalonica. And Paul and Barnabas apparently were staying with him or meeting with him somehow. And they came to his house. They attacked his house seeking Paul. Or rather, Paul and Silas seeking to draw, to drag him out of the house. Those Jews in Thessalonica couldn't find Paul, but Paul was forced to leave the city of Thessalonica. Then we get on a few verses later. Paul left Thessalonica and he went where? He went to Berea. And Paul got to Berea and the Jews in Berea were very noble-minded, it says. But they, they listened to him and they studied the Scriptures and they, they didn't become angry or violent. This was finally the reception that Paul had longed for from the Jews. But, but then look at verse 13. When the Jews from Thessalonica heard that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. And so once again, even though the, the Jews in Berea received Paul graciously, the Jews from Thessalonica came and stirred, stirred them up and forced Paul to leave. Then we go to chapter 18. Chapter 18, verse 12. Paul is now in the city of Corinth preaching the gospel. Verse 12, when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. They tried to bring Paul up on charges there before the proconsul in Corinth. Of course, in this instance, we read the charges ended up being dropped. Paul was never even brought to trial. But certainly the Jews did everything they could to stop Paul's ministry in Corinth. Then we go to chapter 19. Paul is in Ephesus. 
Chapter 19, verse 8, he went into the synagogue and he spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples. Gets to Ephesus, and at least in Ephesus it wasn't a violent response, but certainly there was public opposition and blasphemy spoken against Christianity. So Paul was forced to leave the synagogue. In chapter 20, Paul is back in Corinth and trying to pass through and encouraging the people. He has plans to sail from Corinth back to Syria so he can get back to Jerusalem. In chapter 20 and verse 3, we find this. He stayed there for three months, and when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return to Macedonia. And so Paul is there in Achaia, and the Jews once again plot against him to kill him, probably planning to throw him overboard once the ship set sail. And Paul decided not to take the ship, but instead he went overland. Then we come to chapter 21. Paul finally made it back to Jerusalem. Chapter 21, verse 27. Of course, we've covered this ground as well. Now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law in this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Look down at verse 30. When the, all the city was disturbed and the people ran together, seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And immediately the doors were shut. Now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison. And so the Jews, these Asian Jews in Jerusalem, when they saw Paul, they began to, to again stir up the multitude. And so the crowd of Jews began to... to to try to tear Paul apart. They, they grabbed him and they dragged him out of the temple and began to try and tear him limb from limb. And then we go forward to chapter 23. You would have thought that once the Romans took custody of Paul, he would be safe. But chapter 23, verse 12, we read, When it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. We'll read the rest of the verses there, but they plotted. They plotted against Paul. Secretly wanted to ask the Roman commander for a special meeting with Paul, so that when they were transporting Paul to the meeting, they would be able to ambush them and attack them and murder Paul. And then we get to chapter twenty-four, verses five and six. Here we have Tertullus, who is a a professional uh, orator, a lawyer, essentially, hired by the Jewish leaders. Verse 5, he speaks about Paul. He says, For we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our own law. In verse 9, the Jews also assented, maintaining that these things were so. And so they lodged false accusations of really heinous crimes against Paul that Paul never committed. And finally, we come to chapter 25. Paul is still in custody there in Caesarea. 
He's being held for safekeeping. In chapter 25, verse 2, the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed Festus against Paul, and they petitioned him, asking a favor against him, that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. So once again, the Jews set a plot, an attempt to kill Paul by ambush. Uh, the reason I went back through all this, I wanted you to see. I wanted you to see what's taking place here. We look back in the record of the book of Acts here, and it covers a time period of, about tw- of more than 25 years. And in this time of more than 25 years, what do we see? What do we see from Paul with respect to the Jewish people? What do we see this relationship of Paul to the Jewish people? All we see is hostility and bitterness aimed at Paul from his own Jewish brothers. Why? Because of his faithfulness to preach the gospel to all men. And as I think about this, and I look at this, and you realize for 25 years, Paul has suffered violence, abuse, opposition, slander, mistreatment, attempts to bring him up on false charges, finally getting him in Roman custody and making all sorts of false accusations against him, forcing him to appeal to Caesar because of threats on his life, forcing him to travel uh, by that ship, on that fated journey to go across the Mediterranean Sea, which ended up sinking. Paul and, the, and, the, and the, the rest of the people on the ship ended up washed ashore on the island of Malta. All of the things that Paul suffered along the way, all of those things were at the hands of Jews. They were the hands of Paul's own Jewish brothers. His own people who turned against him. And as I think about that, and I think about what Paul must have experienced, can you imagine... I'm not talking about a few days. I'm not talking about one encounter in which someone says something unkind. 25 years of constant opposition. (coughs) Could you get that right, please? 25 years of constant harassment, constant hostility. Think about how easy. Think about how human it would have been for Paul to become bitter. For Paul to become hard-hearted toward the Jewish people, his own people, who had turned on him. On their account, he had suffered almost nothing but trouble since he became a Christian. When Paul preached to Gentiles, they either believed or they didn't believe. But they didn't try to kill him usually. If they believed, then they became his allies, his Christian brothers. If they didn't believe, they generally were indifferent to the faith. There's a couple of exceptions. Thank you. Most of the time, though, Paul faced hostility from his own people. And it's a wonder that he didn't become bitter. But really, I think about it. Would we blame him? Would we blame him if he had become bitter? Didn't he have a right? Couldn't he have justified resentment? I mean, 25 years is a long time to suffer abuse and mistreatment and slander and hardship for being innocent, 
for just trying to do what was right? I mean, didn't Paul have a right to be a bitter at least a little bit? I asked myself this week, if I were in Paul's situation, having endured all that he endured, would I try to justify a spirit of bitterness? Would I try to find some justification in my heart for bitterness toward those people who had mistreated me? I could see the temptation. I could see it in my own heart, in my own life. And so I say this with confidence, not because I know something about you, but because I know something about me. I think for many of us, maybe all of us, if we were in the same position as Paul, we would justify a spirit of bitterness toward those who had afflicted us. Twenty-five years. You know, several years ago, my wife and I lived for a few months in the house that my grandfather built in normal Illinois. When we moved in, we began to do some work around the house that had been neglected since my, since my grandparents had passed away. And one of the projects that I tackled in the time that we were there was a walkway that went alongside the house. And it was completely overgrown with ivy. The ivy, you know, when you look at it, seems like such a fragile plant. But appearances can be deceiving. That plant had grown up the side of the house, digging hundreds of small holes, thousands maybe, into the brick, and anchoring itself in place. That was only with great and determined effort that I was able to pull it down and tear it away. That doesn't mean that I succeeded in killing it. Don't, don't get, I mean, don't be foolish. That's almost impossible. But you know, I think bitterness is a lot like ivy. You know, it starts with something small, an insult or an injury, whether real or perceived. Some injustice done against us. And so we... We build up resentment. And we justify our resentment because we were the innocent party who was victimized. And so we justify holding bitterness in our heart. And the longer that we hold bitterness in our hearts, the more that it spreads and the more that it anchors itself into our lives. Until it can become virtually impossible for us to root it out. In fact, as I think back to that, and you've all seen uh, a wall or a pathway or something that was overgrown with ivy. When it begins to grow and it begins to spread, and it overgrows, it gets to the point where you can't even see the wall or the pathway or whatever it is that's covered up. It's completely covered with ivy. I think that's what happens to us when we allow bitterness to come into our heart. The book of Hebrews speaks of bitterness as a root that grows up. We can become so overgrown 
Our lives become so overgrown with bitterness that it consumes us. It really becomes the only thing that others can see about us. And as I think about Paul and I think about his life and experience, I'm challenged to see how is it that Paul avoided that? Because I think that many of us, if we were in that situation, we would succumb to it. And we would struggle with bitterness toward those who have mistreated us. But we don't get any sense of that from Paul here in this passage. Paul didn't entertain bitterness. He had endured opposition, anger, violence, and character assassination at the hands of the Jews. But he refused to charge them with wrongdoing. You know, that's what, back in Acts chapter 28, that's what he's saying here. When he explains his situation, and he says, hey, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. They examined me and wanted to let me go. But because the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. But then he says, listen, but I don't have anything to accuse, I don't have anything to accuse the Jews of. I'm not here to lodge an accusation against the Jews. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, I, I may have been unfairly treated, but I am not here to get revenge. I'm not here for retribution. I don't have any complaint to lodge. Even after all that he'd been through, Paul was still concerned about these people. And the truth is, this is exactly what Scripture teaches us that we're supposed to do. Jesus taught us. Jesus taught his disciples this truth in Matthew chapter 5, where he said, Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do you understand that that's not bless those who like might say an unkind word from time to time, or might like slip up and accidentally, you know, or you know, without real forethought, you know, say something unkind or do something unkind. No, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Hmm. I'm sure Jesus meant something else. Certainly not. That's, there's, I'm sure there's some sort of hidden secret there we just got to unlock to turn it around. It can't be. It can't be that he expects us to actually love people who hurt us. And I don't mean just accidentally hurt us, you know, because they're careless. I mean people who go out of their way to hurt us. No way he meant that. Hold on. Three years before we're here in Acts 28, three years earlier, Paul had written a letter to the Christians in Rome, the very ones he's just met. And in that letter, Romans chapter 12, he said this, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul says, don't return evil when someone does evil to you. That's being overcome by it. No, overcome it by doing good. And you know, sometime during the next two years that Paul's here in Rome, he would write to encourage the believers in the city of Colossae. 
And in Colossians chapter 1, he would write this, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you. Paul actually rejoiced. He rejoiced in the things that he suffered. Not for himself, though. Paul's not saying that he enjoys suffering. But he understands that his suffering serves a purpose. Namely, being able to take part in the sufferings of Christ for his church. See, Paul saw that his hardships were a means by which he could bless the church. And so, these verses there in Colossians 1, and really here in Acts chapter 28, give us a glimpse of how Paul could fight the temptation to become bitter. Let me just suggest to you, and I know I'm fast running out of time, and I knew this was going to happen, and I should have just written less time. Let me just tell you this, but I think this is really important. I think this is the, the central focus of this passage in Acts 28. What is it that kept Paul from becoming bitter? It's all about focus. It's all about focus. This is what it is. How did Paul avoid being bitter? Look at Acts chapter 28 and verse 20. We didn't read this far last time. Paul was saying, I was innocently handed over to the Romans. I was accused of things I didn't commit. I've never done anything against the, the, the temple. I've never done anything against the people of the Jews. And I don't have any plan for retribution. Now look at verse 20. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you. Okay, here we get to it. Paul says, here's why I called for you. To see you. And speak with you. Because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this shame. I don't expect to see that. Paul says, I can hear because I want to see you. Because I want to speak with you. I think the first thing we need to understand from verse 20 here about Paul and about how he avoided bitterness is that Paul was not focused on himself. He didn't come to Rome for himself. He says, I called you because I wanted to see you and I wanted to speak to you. That's where Paul's focus is. It's on other people. Paul's focus here on the Jewish leaders. He wants to speak to them. He never made it about himself. He always focused on others. And then he goes even further because at the end of the verse he says that he was bound in a chain. But it wasn't because of the Jews. You notice he doesn't say, hey, I'm in this chain because your people accused me. I mean, he could say that, couldn't he? He could say, hey, I'm stuck here in this chain because the Jews in Jerusalem accused me falsely and that's why I'm stuck here. You know? Listen, we live in a society today that's all about being a victim. It's all about, I'm the victim, you hurt me, it's your fault. And Paul says, none of that is true. He could have said that. I'm, I'm really tired of hearing people in our society talk about how, how much they're a victim. Because half the time it's not even true. Half the time that Peter, the person who were being held up as a victim wasn't a victim. They're the guilty party. I'm tired of that. Paul really could have said, hey, the only reason I'm here is because of a bunch of Jews in, in Jerusalem that got angry and they lashed out at me and I didn't do anything wrong. If anybody had a right to say that, it was Paul. But that's not what he says. See what he says there. He says, I am here. I'm in this chain. 
for the hope of Israel. What in the world is the hope of Israel? Well, we find a clue to what he means by that in something we've already read. Not today, something we've read in Acts chapter 26. I know we're going back and forth here, so just bear with me. We're almost done now. I want to get this. This is really important. Acts chapter 26, Paul's standing before King Agrippa, right? He's offering his defense to Agrippa. Notice what he says, Acts chapter 26 and verse 6. He says, and now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, our twelve tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? What does that have to do with this hope of Israel? Well, that is the hope of Israel. You see, later on when he's talking to Agrippa, verse 22, Paul says this to him as well. He, he goes back to the scriptures and he says that, Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both the small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and the Gentiles. Paul says, listen, this is the hope of Israel. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the hope of Israel, Paul said. It's the hope that all of Israel, all those people who have faithfully served and worshipped God night and day, they're hoping for it. That's what they're looking for. The Messiah. The one who would rise from the dead and live forever. That's their hope, Paul says. And that's why I'm here. Paul says, listen, he's telling to those Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, listen, I'm not here because the, the Jews in, in, in Jerusalem are out to get me. I'm here because of the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm in this chain. He didn't blame anybody. He said it's because of Christ that I'm in this chain. And he's not saying that because he's blaming Christ. Oh, man, being a Christian is so bad. I've got to suffer this chain. That's not what he's saying. Paul says, listen, I have a burden. I have a burden for the people of Israel and their hope is in Christ. And because I have that burden and I'm compelled by it, I'm here today in this chain. Now this is the thing that's really fascinating to me. All right. Okay. This approach that Paul made, not accusing them, but being very gracious and very gentle, had a re received a response. There in Acts chapter 28, the, you can see the response of these Jewish leaders when, when Paul says, hey, I am in these chains because of the hope of Israel. I don't blame you. I'm here because I'm burdened for you. Notice verse 21, they say to him, we never, we never received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. They say to him, listen, Paul, we haven't uh, received any official word from Jerusalem. And even the people who have come, nobody has even said a bad word about you. Paul, we haven't heard anything. There's no reason for us to be opposed to you at all, Paul. 
In fact, Paul, we want to hear what you have to say. We've heard about this Christian, this Christianity. We've heard about this Christ. We'd like to hear what you have to say. All we know is that people speak evil about it. We want to hear your opinion, Paul. What better opportunity could Paul ask for? See, he could have gotten angry, he could have been bitter, he could have thrown out and lashed out of them and said, it was your Jewish brothers, you're the reason I'm here, it's all your fault. And I guarantee you, if he'd done that, he'd never had the chance to tell them about Jesus Christ. Not a chance. But because Paul, very graciously, very gently addressed them, rejecting a bitter spirit, they say, hey, we want to hear what you have to say. Verse 23 tells us that there was an appointed day. Many people came to his lodging to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. All day long they sat there listening to what Paul had to say. Why? Because Paul wasn't bitter toward the Jews. Because he wasn't angry, he wasn't resentful. Because Paul was focused not on himself, right? In his hurt, he was focused on others. In this context, specifically the Jews, his brothers, that he was burdened for. But you know, there's more than that, and I want to, I want to just emphasize this before we're finished this morning. Because when they came to hear what Paul had to say, there's something interesting about what Luke says. Luke says that Paul explained and testified of the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It means two things. It means that Paul explained from the Word of God who Jesus was and what Jesus had done. You see, Paul went back to the Old Testament Scriptures and he explained to them that Jesus Christ was the one that Moses promised and the one the prophets promised and Jesus was the fulfillment of all of that. But he also testified. And that's the thing I really like about this. See, Paul didn't just preach the gospel. Paul also said, listen, i got to tell you, it's not just Moses, it's not just the prophets, it's me. I saw him. I saw him. I mean, I saw Jesus, who was crucified. And then he rose from the dead. I know that he's alive because I saw him. I was walking on the road to Damascus one day. And then he goes into his, we've heard his testimony, right? You know what his testimony is? Just think about this. I was thinking about this actually this morning. I was finishing this up. Think, think about all of this time that Paul has been in the Roman custody since he was arrested or since he was saved from being torn apart by the Jews in Jerusalem. Acts 21, become chapter 21 down to 28. All of the different people he's encountered along the way, every single one of them, what did Paul do? He shared the, the gospel. And in more, more often than not, he shared his own personal testimony of what Jesus Christ had done in his life. Right? That's what Paul did. Now, if you want a model for how to witness to people, if you want a model for how to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people, then look at Paul. He explained from the scriptures who Jesus was, and he shared his own testimony. He testified. Gave witness. He said, listen, this is what I know because I know him. You see, it's not just a book, you know. Um, some of our leaders, in fact, recently have made comments about, you know, we shouldn't be relying on 
letters that were written thousands of years ago. Well, okay. Fine. Because it's not just letters that were written thousands of years ago. I know this because I know a number of you and I've, and I've talked with you. I know I could talk to Jim Dempsey and Jim could share with us that it's not just letters that were written thousands of years ago. He knows Jesus Christ. Because there was a day when he knew the weight of his sin was on him and he cried out to the Lord and the Lord forgave him of sin. And Jim's talked about that. I talked with Vito and Peggy. I've heard their testimony several times. About how they were under the weight of their sin realizing they were sinners guilty and that God was going to punish them and, and judge them for their own sin that they deserved. But that Jesus Christ had taken their punishment on the cross when he died. And they trusted him by faith and they were cleansed of their sin. You see, it's not just this book of Scripture. It's also the fact that we know Jesus Christ. See, we have a story to tell. That's what Paul was doing. It's not an either or. He was sharing the Scriptures and then he said, hey, but, but you need to know what happened to me. Let me tell you what happened to me. Let me tell you what God did. And so Paul shared his testimony with Felix and Drusilla, with Festus, with Agrippa and Bernice, with 275 fellow passengers stuck aboard a ship in the middle of a storm at sea. With people on the island of Malta when he healed them. Here he is standing before a large group of Jewish, of Jewish uh, men in Rome. And ultimately, Paul was going to stand before Caesar himself and share his own testimony. See, this was what Paul was focused on. Why didn't Paul become bitter? Well, first of all, because he wasn't focused on himself. But second of all, because he was focused on the ministry of the gospel. You see, Paul realized that all of the things that had been done to him those false accusations by the Jews had provided opportunity for him to tell his testimony. His story of meeting Jesus Christ face to face with all sorts of people. How likely would it have been that Paul would have been able to walk into the governing chamber of Festus and tell Festus about Christ? Or Felix? Or King Agrippa? Or Caesar? If he just said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call up Caesar's secretary and I'm going to schedule an appointment. You know, try that with the president. See how far that gets you. Ain't going to happen. But because Paul was accused, because he was put in chains, because of all these things that happened to him, all of the abuse that he endured, Paul had the opportunity to preach the gospel. So was Paul bitter? No. Because Paul wasn't focused on himself. Paul was so much more concerned about preaching the gospel. And every opportunity he got to preach the gospel was good. I'm not saying that we should compare ourselves with the Apostle Paul so that we can all feel guilty. Because I think we all could. We all feel guilty and realize, boy, we really missed some opportunities here. But I do think there's a relationship between how little we focus on being a witness for Christ and how much we struggle with bitterness toward those who mistreat us. Paul was far more concerned with sharing God, sharing the gospel, than he was with holding on to offenses that had been done to him. And the result for Paul was that he was able to preach Christ to men and women from Jerusalem to Rome. So what's your focus this morning? Are you struggling with the root of bitterness in your heart? Maybe you're not struggling with the root of bitterness. Maybe bitterness has overtaken you. Has overwhelmed your life. Don't give it place any longer. 
Repent. Turn to the Lord. Turn your eyes on Him. Focus on Him and the ministry He's called you to. The ministry of the Gospel. Keep your eyes on the mission that God has given you. Rejoice that He saved you. See, this is what it's all about. It's not about ourselves and keeping our eyes focused on ourselves. Rejoice that Christ has saved you so that you can tell others about your blessing, Lord, your Savior. Let's pray.